following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today we're talking about saving marine life in Westeros, Scotland. Now, this is not the fictitious continent Westeros in the Game of Thrones, but it's a very real ocean stewardship place in need of our help. And my guest today is Michaela Grunbaum, and she's our student intern for about nine weeks this summer. Hello, Michaela. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, So you're local here in Cambridge, right? I am, yes. I grew up in Cambridge, and now I'm attending the University of Vermont in Burlington. And what program are you doing there? Um, right now, I'm an environmental studies major in the Rubenstein School of Natural Resources and the Environment. That's why you're a great asset here to help out in the Ocean River Institute, because uh, you're really savvy in this environmental studies department. Um, and I really appreciate the help you've given us in researching this today's story. Uh, you've spent quite a few days on um, gathering the information and the biology behind all this, and it's really helped me to make more clear what's going on. Um, so this begins by uh, we were invited by uh, Sarah Nason to help out in this faraway place called the Wester Ross. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, remember that? <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones, it's spelled as one word. And here it's Wester and then capital R-O-S-S. But I think it's pronounced about the same. I don't know how you pronounce my book anyways, but... Uh, <laughs> And actually, I haven't heard the word Westeros. I've just been uh, communicating online with Sarah Nason. Uh, Sarah, um, a mutual friend, a friend of mine who's a businessman, Tom Stoner, um, bumped into Sarah as a journalist about Scotland, and uh, we started corresponding about marine protected areas. And then suddenly Sarah wrote to me about help. You know, there's this problem uh, with, um, with the Westeros. Yeah, so, Rob, I wanted to find out where exactly the Westeros is. Right. So this is a piece of ocean that is on the northwest coast of the highlands of Scotland. So it's north of Skye, and it's just way up there on top of Scotland. Uh, and the only uh, town there is Ullapool, which has about 1,300 people. So it's a very remote and very quite pristine, one would think, uh, part of the Scottish coastline. And I've heard that the organization Sea Change has um, a lot to do with work there. So can you tell me about the organization Sea Change? Yes, exactly. So um, the Sea Change is out of Ullapool. So it's the local people who are concerned about uh, protecting the Western Ross. And they feel that we need to change some of our behaviors because the area has been overfished. I think it's mostly overfishing. I don't think they have a lot of pollution problems. I know they have a Facebook page that um, posts a lot of updates about what's going on in the area, including a scallop diver's account of what they've seen in the Westeros. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, When Sarah sent me this uh, account from a scallop diver, because... The way they harvest the, the seafood up there, the, the marine life, uh, is that they have um, scallop divers who dive over the scallop beds and can pick out the big scallops and leave the little ones. Another way is by having dredgers go through, and a dredger will drag 
um, heavy equipment through the sandy spots that the scallops like to live in and capture everything in the net. It's like hoovering the, the bottom of the area. And the third uh, ocean user group are creel. And creelers are people, creel is the word in Scotland for what here in New England we call a lobster pot. Different shape, but they have these creels, which are essentially baskets that they lower to the bottom of the floor and they catch crabs and langostinas, uh, which are like little lobsters, uh, and uh, I guess Norway lobsters and some other things uh, in there. Uh, but uh, the, so the scallop diver uh, a few months ago was returning to his favorite areas in the Western Ross for getting scallops. And the area used to be scalloped by, used to be dredged by a dredger, and the, that gentleman who owned his boat um, sold the boat and closed down the dredging operations. So those corners of the Western Ross had not been dredged for four years. Wow. And uh, so the diver got to see the recovery of these overfished areas with more and more scallops coming in over time. And then he went for a swim uh, about a month ago and found that all the air, most all the areas had been ripped to shreds by a, um, a dredger that come into the area. He actually saw the boat working um, in part of the area, but he, you know, dove anyways to be sure because you just don't know. And uh, there were a couple places around rock piles and things where he knew he could find a few scallops, so he did have a catch. But um, he was just heartbroken by the uh, damage wrought by the dredger. Yeah, that sounds devastating. Um, so there are a lot of other animals that live in the Westeros besides scallops. Yeah. Um, I understand that there's like uh, four different uh, areas or four or five different areas uh, for, for um, different kind of essential habitats. Um, what's one of them? So um, one habitat that is very important to a lot of different species is the um, seagrass or eelgrass beds. So eelgrass and seagrass are found in large beds um, in, the, in most of the marine protected area in the Westeros. Um, they're very important because they provide a nursery for small fish in the area. They provide protection, um, and they also provide small bivalves that these fish eat. Um, and these are very important fish. For example, cod is one that can be found in the eelgrass beds. Um, they're also important because they anchor in the sandy bottom and provide substrate stabilization. Um, so there are a lot of shellfish and fish that are living around these habitats. Right, because they can hold the sand from being pushed around by the currents. And exactly. And those are one of the species that tend to get caught in these dredgers when they go by. So basically it rips all the seagrass and eelgrass out of the sandy bottom. So that's why these are of concern in the area. Yeah, it's a real problem for like the cod dredgers. They're going for codfish with, with a trawl, that could, a bottom trawl. That could be, that would wreak havoc to these seabeds. I understand that the seagrass is there. I understand that these eelgrass beds, as they call it, um, is not where you're going to find the scallops so much so that the dredgers of the scallops are more working for a sandy bottom. And so this appeal now is to address the, the uh, dredging of scallops. And so the actions are not being taken so much by the seagrass beds. Uh, the, the diver also talked about, what is it, merle? Yes. What's merle? So merle is made of calcified seaweed. Um, it's like a, it turns a pinkish color. Yeah. And it, it looks like um, little cracked pink pieces of coral, basically. Um, and merl beds provide a very complex habitat for a wide range of species. Again, this habitat provides protection for certain juvenile species of fish, including cod, once again. Um, so it's just another example of a habitat that houses many species, including scallops. Right, because the diver was just alarmed at how the merl beds in his scallop areas had been ripped to shreds by these um, uh, dredger, this one dredger. And uh, so this is why we need to 
uh, ban the dredging from uh, mural beds in particular. Exactly. It wreaks havoc on scallops as well as many other species that rely on mural for protection and food. Um, what's another essential habitat that's out there? So another essential habitat is a northern feather star aggregation. So a northern feather star, um, have, they have, they're basically starfish. They have long slender arms and they can be a variety of many beautiful colors. Um, they filter feed, so they use their arms to capture the organic matter that's flowing by in the current. Um, and they're also a significant component to the seabed community just because they're another species that um, provides kind of refuge for smaller organisms. Um, there's also burrowing sea cucumbers that live in the same area, and they are predators and prey to many species, so they just are another important link in the environment. Um, a, a weird thing that they do is that they can eviscerate their guts Oh, no. Um, so they can provide food for other organisms while still living because they just discard that and then other species can feast. Oh, no kidding. They do that when they're alarmed. They yeah, exactly. They kind of and spew out these yeah. stringy insides, and, and uh, I guess uh, the other, it affects, it benefits the yeah. community. Yeah. Uh, well, 20 Park, we're going to land on that one. Um, yeah, so... Is that pretty much the, uh, the wildlife and marine life that, um, that go in there? Or? There, there are, I mean, there are many other species, but another notable one is the Norway lobster, which burrows in um, the mud in the area. So burrowed mud habitats are in the deeper parts of the marine protected area, um, and they cover very extensive areas. They house um, the Norway lobsters, as I mentioned, as well as firework anemones and yeah. forests of sea pens. Um, so although mud might not sound like a very exciting community, in this situation it actually hosts a large diversity of animals in the area. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really important that all the diverse habitats are protected, and together they create a robust and great biological diversity of species because you've got so many different habitats there. Uh, and so I've been reading about this as well, and it turns out that, well, you can see it in the regulations, that the habitats in most trouble seem to be the merle beds and the flame shell beds. Yes, the flame shell beds are, um, those are also very important. So flame shells are bivalve mollusks, um, and they live in nests in the seabed, and they build their nests out of shells, stones, and other materials they find nearby. Um, so one reason they're important is because their nests can form kind of a dense bed on the ocean floor, which stabilizes the seabed and makes it more attractive for other creatures to live in. Um, and there have been studies that suggest that six complex nests can support 19 species of algae and 265 species of invertebrates. 265 different invertebrates? Yeah. All setting up shop in a flame shell bed. Yes, so those are very important, and those are also extremely vulnerable to bottom disturbances. So that's very important to watch out for when you're dredging. So, um, so yeah, so we've got to act to protect those mural beds and the flame shell beds. Yes, those are very important habitats. So um, what's the rationale for the Scottish government getting involved Right. So the Scottish government, you know, has taken a big view from a distance and uh, of, of the overall value to having uh, marine, you know, having uh, a healthy ecosystem. They, they thoroughly get that, you know, the marine environment provides the food, energy, meaning wind, wave, and tidal power, minerals, and fossil fuels. Uh, the marine environment provides the routes and harbors for shipping, tourism and recreational opportunities, as well as sites of cultural and historical interest. I'm reading right from the government documents. And so due to competing demands placed upon Scotland's marine resources, they've got to work out more effective management in order to balance between the conservation and sustainable use needs. You know, they've got to strike a balance between those kinds of things. 
And currently, there's just, well, prior to these recent actions, there was insufficient protection in place. And so they they needed to do something to create a more ecological and ecologically coherent network of well-managed protected areas. So what are some of the direct ecosystem service benefits that um, the government is looking at as they take action? Yeah. So it's really difficult to get, um, you know, an economic value placed on uh, a piece of the ocean, you know, an ocean stewardship place, as I refer to it. Um, There's the value that the fishermen get from it. There's the value that minerals extractors get from it, which is mineral extracting is not happening in the the western cross. There's value, you know, there's different values. But there's also a non-use value of just simply having healthy ecosystems next to Scottish houselands, households. And so the, the Scots really figured out and worked on this economically that the non-use value of Scottish households of marine conservation in Scottish waters that was generated by a well-functioning marine protected area network as a whole is estimated to be within the range of 239 to 583 million pounds over a 20-year assessment period. Wow. So over 20 years, we're talking, you know, half a billion pounds of economic value for just the people living on the shore, not the extractors. Uh, so it's, um, you know, and this, this would, um, and, and that's just if they preserve it the way it is. Right. If they could, um, exp- they could improve it and we could see with improvements, with better restoration and, and better enforced conservation, we, we can, they, would, they would see an expansion of recreational activities such as diving and sea angling <coughs> excuse me, and other tourism uh, along t- alongside of the sustainable methods of fishing. And, yeah. and so that would increase the value than that value that we already talked about. Right. So they have a big incentive to take action in this situation for many different reasons. Yes, they really do. And um, so what they did was they, uh, in 2014, they... Um, they enacted a marine protected area in August of 2014. And it was a long process to get there where they had to hold listening sessions over a three-month period, and they visited, uh, I think, 14. Uh, they held 14 sessions around the region. So, that yeah, 14 local-level drop-in events, they called it. And that was an opportunity to uh, learn all the complexity of the different users, different concerns, you know, and addressing those concerns of uh, if we um, reduce the uh, dredging, for example, will that reduce the economic drivers for the area? And they found that, well, you know, if they reduce the dredging and they're still creeling and uh, diving for scallops, that the overall uh, impact on the economy shouldn't change much. But if there's too much diving or too much creeling, then that would also, that could be a problem. So it's important to have this carefully regulated. Uh, instead of, most of Scotland is regulated, but it is not uh, to this degree of attention. This degree. Making a marine protected area means that they're going to have more eyes on the resource, more sense of what are the baselines and stuff like that. So uh, this is a very sensitive area, so it's important to do that. Uh, we're going to um, take a short break and come back, and I'm going to continue talking with Michaela Grunbaum about the Wester Ross in Scotland. Thank you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're back. We're talking about saving the Westeros off the northwest coast of Scotland. And with me is our summer's intern, Michaela Brunbaum. Um, and if you're interested in what we're doing in this program for the Westeros, please uh, go to our website and you can read my blog posting for more information and you can actively join in the petition that we're putting together for Marine Scotland to ban dredging from the essential habitats within the marine protected area. And so that's at www.oceanriver.org. Great. So, Rob, today I saw in the Scotsman newspaper of Scotland that there was an article about Scotland's marine conservation efforts. Can you tell me a little bit about that and why they call for the marine protected area in Scotland? Yeah, it's just coincidental or it's, it's appropriate because it's breaking news, but uh, the sea change people alerted me to the Scotsman came out today, uh, the Thursday, the 2nd of July, an article called um, Targeted Marine Action Works. And I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from it. One is, there is something, there is sometimes a wee temptation to get carried away with the good news, but this summer there are promising signs of change for Scotland's seas in the form of proposal to better safeguard 16 marine protected areas in our inshore waters and thus help provide the breeding grounds for marine recovery. Uh, when first muted, from first mooted, M- my Scottish isn't that good, but I'll do the best <laughs> I can here. Uh, when first mooted, MPAs were seen by some as a distraction. Better protecting parts of our seas would risk displacing activities elsewhere, and only ever be a partial fix for the declining health of our whole environment, whole marine environment. And so the reply from Scotland's environment community was, yes, we need ecosystem-based management planning and improved fisheries management, but we also strongly support NPAs 
as a significant tool to help start reversing the decline in the health of our seas. And so accordingly, the Scots have launched our, quote, don't take the pee out of MPA's campaign aimed at government ministers. So our message echoed what many communities around Scotland's coastline are also saying. The health of our seas is clearly failing and urgent action is needed. Over 4,700 people responded to the Scottish government's consultation. Communities up and down the country, from the Clyde to the Wester Ross, contributed to a groundswell for conservation management. Their message was simple. The plans were too complex and lacked ambition. And so the Cabinet Secretary, Richard Lockhart, has been impressive in his response and heartening in uh, his actions he's taking. And so the um, even the, some of the creelers, whose vessels can constitute 70% of the Scottish inshore fleet, even argue that the measures do not go far enough to resolve many of the contentious issues facing inshore fisheries. Their representatives are urging more wide-ranging spatial management, similar to regulations long used by our Scandinavian neighbors. So they're calling for better regulations of MPAs, but also more wide-ranging uh, ecosystem-based management approaches for the betterment of Scottish waters all over the place. Sounds great. So when did they actually establish the Westeros Nature Conservation Marine Protected Area? Yeah, it's quite a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, but, uh, right, so this, this article comes after some success, but it's saying there needs to be more done. And the success was that for the Westeros, they set up a marine protected area in August of 2014. And the, the area is designated as a nature conservation marine protected areas. So they've taken the extra measure to say not just marine protected area, but here in America we talk about wildlife refuges, difference from wild, from parks, because the emphasis is more on um, giving conservation to the wildlife, not just having public access to the region. Uh, so this is an interesting departure from the work from other MPAs. They call it nature conservation. They put that up front marine protected area, and it's to, uh, you know, they're going to have a network of sites, and this is one of them, uh, the Western Ross. And uh, the conservation objectives in the law here are numerous, but of particular interest to me is its structure and functions, its quality, and the composition of its characteristic biological communities are such as to ensure that it is in a condition which is healthy and not deteriorating. So they, they've done a lot of good things to, um, to, protect, to protect the area. However, um, they, they ran into a problem with the, um, the, the dredgers because, the, you know, the, the law here says that any temporary reductions uh, is not a big deal if the population is thriving and sufficiently resilient to enable its recovery from such reduction. <clears throat> but as the diver found out that, uh, in the case of this dredger work in Western Ross, it was destroying five or four and a half years of recovery. So we can't have that kind of activity happening. So would you say the biggest change that needs to be made in the Western Ross MPA is the ban on dredgers? Yes. Are there any other big issues that need to be um, changed well, in the, the Western Ross? That's the big issue. That's the biggest and, one. And that's okay. the big issue. And then the, um, the Marine Scotland... Uh, has put forward the idea that in those most sensitive uh, scallop habitats, they will ban the dredgers. Completely. Completely. Yes. But uh, most Scots want to see dredging banned from the entire marine protected area. Wow, that would be a big step. You know, um, and so this is where we have to strike a balance between the user's needs and the broader conservation needs. And... Um, there's going to be a lot of pushback from industry about closing anything off to a dredger. Um, so that's, that's kind of the conundrum that uh, we're facing as the Ocean River Institute, is do we uh, push the whole thing or do we um, push the more local thing, which is the locals want to coexist with their neighbors who are professional dredgers and things, 
So they want to strike a balance of um, some, you know, the most sensitive areas closed, but not wide band stuff. Uh, it's a complicated issue. Right. So um, how are sea change in the locals actually trying to combat this issue and kind of work through it? Yeah. So uh, what they have done is put together a petition. And to do that was uh, a long um, process. Um, let's see, where's my petition here? I feel like the old newspaper reporter trying to get his news reports out in front of me. But, um, yeah, so, so I told you about the Marine Protected Act of 2014, mm-hmm. and now they have uh, a new order of 2015 that is before uh, National Scotland. Uh, Marine Scotland and has to be um, shored up by, and so the sea change people want to see that get through. And so they um, have put a lot of time into coming up with a petition uh, because they they want to coexist with the dredgers and so there, there's also other petitions that are to say don't limit our, our fishing activity. And so it's uh, I've, I've been saying that it's okay, it's better that local people sign both petitions than no petition at all because it means they care. But it's been a hard work by sea change to get a, a clear mission statement together. But they've done that. And um, and so that is a local petition, uh, which is, you know, and let me read you just the begin, uh, just a piece of it. Um, well, yeah, and they, they find out where it is, too, so that's a good idea. The Western Ross Marine Protected Area was recently designated in order to protect and recover some important species that have been damaged by destructive fishing methods. Now, the MPA extends from reef at the northern tip of the southern isles of Lakou in the south. So it extends from Lakou in the south all north along the shore, the northwest coast there, to the summer isles out to reef. And the campaign by the members of the public and creel and dye fishermen throughout the West Coast are encouraging the Scottish government to announce the draft marine conservation orders, uh, which plan to exclude the scoff stretching from these highly sensitive areas and limit trawls to specific areas of the MPA. So there, there are two parts. There's the dredgers and there's the trawling. And... Uh, so we've been, uh, the government has requested that coastal communities and stakeholders respond by like the 4th of August. And so that's the local um, effort. And they point out that scallop dredgers do serious damage to the seabed and destroy habitats that take years, even decades to recover. And these are areas where many fish, including the skates, rays, cod and herring, uh, spawn and live while juveniles. And they, need, they point out that the herring is a keystone species, meaning that mm-hmm. it's a forage fish. And we've had other programs talking about the importance of protecting herring. Uh, and the Ocean River Institute, you know, successfully sued uh, the U.S. government to take an ecosystem-based approach for uh, managing the herring and the forage fish like that. Uh, so this is a, a big problem. Brown crab and lobster and scallops can also be smashed by the dredgers, as do often less commercially valuable species. Local fishing pays a price because dredges, dredgers damage opportunities for more sustainable, low-impact fishing practices. So protecting the inshore areas with scallop dredgers will help to protect the future of local scallop diving, sustainable creeling, sea angling, and ultimately the wildlife tourism. So this is an important local petition. But they're really looking for just local people to sign this petition. And as of today, after about two and a half weeks, they've gotten 705 signatures. So that's when Ulupul has a a population of 1,300. That's more than half the people in Ulupul, although I'm sure many of these people are outside of Ulupul that are signing the petition. Wow, that's great. Um, I know ORI has been doing some work on this, so... um how can people from overseas help with this issue? Yes. So we're picking up, you know, where the Scots leave off and bringing the attention from thousands of people from outside of Scotland. And if you would like to, if listeners would like to help us, please visit our website, oceanriver.org, and click on the Westeros 
you know, picture there, and that'll take you to our petition. Please sign a petition, pass it to your friends on Facebook. Um, and uh, it's time to take another break, Michaela. So <laughs> we're going to take a short break and be right back after the interview. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back uh, talking about saving the Westeros, and um, with me is Michaela Grunbaum. Um, so where are we? So we're discussing why um, the people of Westeros can use help from us overseas. Yes. So please, we ask for your financial support um, so that we can help local people who don't have a lot of resources to make a difference. And right now, we're working with the people of northwest Scotland off the coast of the Highlands, north of Skye, in a place called the Wester Ross. That is not the Game of Thrones, but it's <laughs> a, a similarly named, uh, very special uh, piece of uh, coastline. And uh, so just today, I got word that, uh, so there's a lot of emailing amongst the Sea Change people, the people of Ulapool and the Sea Change people, and uh, they're also on Facebook, but um, I've been following them on an email thread, and uh, just today we learned that a, a good biologist and scallop diver is prepared to go back and do a survey of what it looks like, and uh, he's all set to go, but he needs a GoPro camera. So I wired back saying, can Ocean River Institute, why are you the funds for a GoPro camera? Yeah, that would be great. And there's a lot of um, other financial assistance we can provide to continue this great cause. 
So what else can we do besides that? Yeah. So um, they are also talking about the need for a baseline study. And, again, they don't have the, uh, you know, so I wrote back and said, well, what do you need for a baseline study? And Sarah wrote back that um, it's not simple um, because, um, you know, they're, 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 just, they're flying, you know, they're just, so Sarah writes back, wow, what an idea. That's amazing. Uh, the thing is that uh, they're not sure how to go about a baseline study. Uh, the idea is that, well, you know, let's engage the uh, University of Glasgow people or let's go down to York where uh, uh, Roberts is the uh, scientist there who's written a great book on, uh, on ocean conservation and stuff. And it's like, you know, we want to get the most bang and the most community involvement. So uh, we, you know, are going to launch a campaign to raise funds to help with a baseline study done by the local University of Glasgow people, uh, students and, and professors. Uh, because they're they're the closest you know brain trust to Highlands, and um, they uh, distinguished the University of Glasgow distinguished themselves as the first great uh, United Kingdom university to divest from fossil fuels, um, which is significant because the Industrial Revolution kind of began in, in Glasgow. Um, so uh, this is a reason why uh, again we urge you to. Uh, Go to uh, oceanriver.org, and you can just hit on support and make a note that you're giving in, uh, you know, in in, um, in support of the Western Ross. So, are there other ways people can help besides going to our website? Yeah. So we are active on Facebook. Ocean River um, Institute is the Facebook name, uh, and there's a, a, a social media program called Love animals.org, loveanimals.org, and they have different categories, you know, health animals that are, it's a crowdfunding source, and so they have pets, they have uh, wild animals, they have uh, uh, domestic animals, and they have ocean animals. So on the ocean animals, you'll come to, uh, you know, help save the marine life of the Western Ross, and we're doing a campaign right on that to see if we can raise... Um, that campaign is actually to see if we can raise money to, um, to help my expenses to go over there. So it works out to about, uh, that's a $3,000 campaign, and every $100 will enable me to be there for either, for a third of a day, either the morning, the afternoon, or the, uh, or the evening. And I hope to be there for 10 days for, for $3,000. So that's uh, another campaign that you can participate in at loveanimals.com. No, what's it called? Love Animals. Love Animals. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is called that. And um, or you can give directly to uh, OceanRiver.org. Uh, we appre- we accept, appreciate securities and things like that as well. Um, wow, that would be great if you could get over to Scotland and see this firsthand. Yeah, I want to go over and get the, their stories. You know, I want to interview the people that are over there and learn the complexity of the issues because often people will resist change and resist increased regulations uh, for we don't know why. We have to hear, we have to listen locally before we act locally. We mustn't, we got it wrong on Earth Day when we said, think globally, act locally, because we often were locally stupid and we didn't know the local situation. So the Ocean River Institute is founded on the principles of listen locally, think locally, and act locally, and by doing so, we become global. Right, yeah, that all sounds really great. So there's another timely thing that's happened in the area. Um, I know there's another Scotsman article about a shell oil leak. Yeah. You know, wouldn't you know, on the same day, uh, they had a, a leak of, uh, well, no, some years ago, they just decided, uh, they settled the case today, that uh, this is, again, reading from today, Thursday, uh, July 2nd, uh, Scotsman, has an article titled, Shell Fine for Leak on Platform Where Workers Died. So they've been fined um, after a diesel leak on board on the same North Sea platform or where two workers died 12 years ago. So the leak wasn't involved in the, the death of the workers, but um, what happened was that they had a leak um, in just, so they were... Um, 
The leak took place in May of 2013. So this is the worst time of year for there to be an oil leak because that is when many of the marine invertebrates are reproducing. So all those critters that are on the bottom of the ocean are um, releasing uh, eggs that are hatching into nopoli and plankton. They're in the zooplankton. Uh, you know, a whole year class is in the, floating around in the plankton in May, and along comes this oil spill. And, you know, the plankton goes up and down with the daylight and stuff, and, you know, up at night, down at, in, in the daytime. But, uh, you know, you're going to go up into the oil, and that's going to not be good for the systems. Uh, apparently, um, 116 miles northeast of Lurwick's Shetland, so this is north of Scotland, uh, underwent a scheduled shutdown for routine maintenance. An offshore supply vessel was carrying out bunkering operations using bulk hoses, which were lowered from the platform to allow the transfer of diesel when the leak was spotted on one of the flexible pipes. Just before starting the transfer at about 1 a.m., on 11th of May, 2013, the crews carried out inspections of the hoses, but only noticed general wear and tear. But around an hour later, the chief officer of the supply vessel noticed a, quote, discoloration in the seawater indicating a leak. A leak. So the Crown narrative lodged in court yesterday stated, he saw a plume emanating from the diesel bunkering hose, which was mushroom-shaped and approximately 15 to 20 meters in length from the hose. He immediately instructed his crews to stop the diesel pump and contact, contracted, no, they contacted um, the, the company to advise them of the leak. And they began pulling the diesel hose back to the installation. And at that time, diesel could be seen escaping from the hose. And so it was not a good scene. Uh, they found two damaged sections of the hose, which had not been fully inspected before starting operations. And uh, they found a hand-sized damage on the hose and also discovered they were bulging and deformed in places. So, you know, these, these fabric and rubber and, and plastic hoses were like having bulges where the, um, the walls were giving way. Uh, the Crown narrative added that the DECC's opinion the defective areas of the hose could not have been missed had there been adequate visual inspections of the operations. So they've been fined for this. And, uh, and just three months earlier, the DECC identified problems with bunkering hoses on the Brent Bravo after inspectors found the kinked hoses. So they didn't see it leaking, but they found kinks in the hoses. And so that they're doing a review of that. Um, you know, they saved some money. They were only fined 6,000 and 650 pounds instead of 10,000 pounds because they entered guilty. But, the, you know, this is important that we have, you know, consistent and thorough monitoring in place that looks at before things happen instead of afterwards. Right, yeah, because that can be so devastating to all the, the ecosystems in the area. So we really need to be careful of things like that. Right. So, uh, again, you know, we urge people to join with us in helping to save the Western Ross. Um, and the Western Ross, you know, marine protected areas, especially these essential habitats for uh, scallops, by banning dredgers from those waters. And we urge you to go to www.oceanriver.org and sign our petition uh, to help do that and then spread the word, right? How can people spread the word, you think? Um, you could link the petition on your Facebook page so all your friends can see it. That's a really good way to spread awareness. Um, and just talk to people that you know about what's going on because this issue affects everyone. The ocean ecosystem health is an issue that will eventually affect everyone on the planet. So you should care about it. That's right. It's all one ocean, and we're all connected to that one ocean. The, West, uh, uh, the Western Ross area is warmed by the very tail end of the Gulf Stream. That's, the Gulf Stream is flowing 300 miles here off of Massachusetts. So the pollutants that we put in the water here ends up in the Gulf Stream, ends up affecting the people in Western Ross. So it's all one system. Yes, exactly. It's all connected. And a lot of the scallops from that area are actually exported. So everyone should be invested in this area and making sure that it's sustainable in the future. That's true. There are very, there are only certain parts of the ocean 
that are biologically rich enough to, for us to be able to harvest lots of seafood from it, like the Grand Banks, like George's Banks, like Gulf of Maine. And here in, in the northwest Scotland is another place. So we really need our dining pleasures, <laughs> our nutritional intake as, as well as um, our recreation and, and just sense of place, uh, the knowing the pristine places. Exactly, exactly. So, Michaela, I want to thank you for um, helping me learn all this about the uh, Westeros um, Marine uh, Protected Area. And um, just an aside, um, it's not the place in, in Game of Thrones, but it turns out that uh, Rory McCann, who plays the Hound, you know, in, in the Game of Thrones, yeah. he um, lives and grew, he grew up in, in, in Glasgow, and he keeps a sailboat, I think, in the western, the real western rock <laughs> up there off the northwest coast of Florida, of uh, the northwest coast of Scotland. So we're hoping to maybe engage him in being a guardian with us, and uh, hopefully with your support, we can enable him to be a guardian of the western rock. Yeah, how cool would that be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks again. Thank you. And for all of you, thank you for tuning in to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, let's do the same thing we do every day. Try to make a healthier ocean. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.